God's word says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire set tw sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins." Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word, and thank you so much, God, for the spirit-inspired words of your, your prophet Isaiah. And in this Advent season, would you help us, Lord, to draw close to you and prepare our hearts to receive the coming of King Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, to be with us as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It is Christmas time. We have already, in our family, been doing all of the Christmas festivities. We've baked cookies. We've put up the tree. We've been to see Christmas lights multiple times. Um, it's, it's just a fun time when you have little ones in the house, and, and it's, it's here. And what's crazy is I don't know if we can... If we can uh, 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 maintain the excitement for the next three or four weeks to get there, but but I, but Ainsley has enough for all of us. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it's just here. But actually, you know, today is actually the first day of the season we call Advent, and Advent is um, Advent is the season where. There's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, and it's four weeks, and Advent is all about kind of preparation for the celebration of Christmas. And, and here's something that I love about Advent. What I love about Advent is it doesn't rush the punchline. When you actually kind of go through the season of Advent, it gives you time to kind of sit in the waiting and in the anticipation of the season. And I love that because that means Advent is really truthful, is really uh, genuine, because it's a season that reminds us, actually, that the world at times is dark and cold and in need of a Savior. Um, so when we walk through the four weeks of Advent, what we're doing is we're reflecting on what must it have been like to live in a world with no Jesus, what must it have been like to live in a world where there was no nativity story? What must it have been like to live in a world where there was nothing known of Christmas Day, much less of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? 
But also for Advent, it reminds us not only that Christ came 2,000 years ago, born in a humble stable, but as believers who, who trust the word of God and trust the promises of God, we not only believe he came, but that he's coming in a second Advent and that he's coming not this time in a manger, but he's coming in power and in glory in order to restore and renew all of God's creation. So that just as Mary eagerly awaited the arrival of her baby boy in Advent, the church, the world itself is in the birth pangs of anticipation as we wait for our king that we just sang about to come again in his second Advent and establish his eternal rule and reign and heaven and earth will meet and become one and the old things will pass away and all things will be made new and death and hell and the grave will all be arrested and, and subdued and there will only be life and there will only be love and there will only be eternity to look forward to. So that's what Advent is. We're, we're anticipating Christmas Day and gifts around the tree and all that excitement. But as believers, there's so much more. When we celebrate and observe the season of Advent, looking forward to Christmas, we're saying, yeah, he came, but we believe he's coming again. Amen. So this is Advent. We relive the waiting because just like they were waiting for the Savior to come, you and I were waiting for the Savior to come again. We're still waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom to come. And in this season, I feel like the Lord has led us to focus on the next few Sundays, the words of the prophet Isaiah. And that's our Christmas series. It's, it's Christmas with Isaiah. That's our series. We're going to spend time with Christmas in actually the Old Testament before Jesus was ever born. We'll look to the words of the prophet Isaiah, who was inspired by the Spirit of God uh, to help us on our journey to Christmas. Now, Isaiah lived something like 740 years before the birth of Jesus. So his words today are nearly 3,000 years old but his words perhaps now have more meaning and are more relevant than ever. Because even though he lived 700 years before Jesus, when you read the book of Isaiah, it's not hard to find Jesus on every page as you read it. And I encourage you this month, as you read with us, look for Jesus on every page of this book. See, Isaiah, he preached and prophesied and proclaimed God's word to the people who, who were uh, the people of God, who were a nation that had drifted far from God. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the nation of Israel, they, they had a form of godliness. They had all of the religious trappings and the religious rules and the religious rituals that came with being children of Abraham and followers of Moses. They had a rich religious heritage. They could point back to the good old days and they could say, well, remember when God, God, we served God with passion and remember when God moved with power among our lives. But despite all of their religious ritual and despite all of their religious heritage and despite all of their perfunctory religious duties, their religious artistry, their religious paraphernalia, they had drifted so much from true devotion and relationship with God, with the God of their ancestors that the reality was while they looked very godly and they looked very religious, their hearts and their minds and their way of life was far from God. In fact, this is what God says to Isaiah in chapter 39 of his book, excuse me, 29 of his book, Isaiah 29, 13, God speaking, he says, 
These people, they come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They know the religious things to say. They know the script. They know what they're supposed to say to sound good and sound holy and sound spiritual. But he says, I look past what they say and I look at their hearts and their hearts are far from me. And this kind of spiritual depravity that's cloaked in religious piety is not just a symptom of times gone by. It's not just something that took place back then. It was a problem in Jesus' day when he was born. There was a whole lot of religious ritual, but not a lot of relationship with God. It was a problem in the days of the early church when they were, they were going around and they were sharing Jesus. And people said, well, we've got religion. We've got all kinds of gods. And, we, and the, uh, even the Jews were saying, we've got the, you know, the temple. We've got all these things. And, and they were saying, you know, no, that's that's not it. And, and can I tell you, this kind of fake religiosity, it's a problem in the 21st century as well. Yeah. You know, some people would say that our nation is one of the most Christian nations on earth. But I think that we could read Isaiah and realize that Isaiah is speaking to someone who, and to a nation of people who say they're religious and give religious lip service to God, but if God examined the hearts of a nation, would our nation truly be considered close to him? Would our people, can I, can I get a little more specific? If he looked at not just the nation, but the church in America. The church has more money than it's ever had before. The church has more influence and political power than it's ever had before. But what is the condition of the heart of the church? And so I think that Isaiah is relevant to us this month as we read because we live in a nation whose heart's far from God. We live in a church age and church world where the church has all the, the trappings and we've got lights and we've got things and we've got great, great events and we've got great programs, but where is our heart? This is what in the New Testament the Apostle Paul said when he was talking, writing to his spiritual son Timothy and he said, these people, they have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. In other words, he's saying to them, he's saying, you know what? You look spiritual, but there's no power behind what you look like. There's nothing bringing transformation. There's nothing bringing change, nothing bringing you closer. There's a, there, it's all just a mask. It's all just a, a, a costume that you're wearing. It's not really who you are. So Isaiah's prophetic ministry, it's to a nation of people. They look very religious, but very few of them truly have a relationship with God. And because of this disconnect between the cultural religion and the condition of their hearts, the nation and the world around them has drifted into coldness, into darkness, and into brokenness. And part of Isaiah's ministry, his prophetic ministry, is to warn them, listen, people, listen, people of God, if you continue down this path of wearing the religious costume but not having having a truly heart, a heart truly turned toward God, it will not lead you anywhere but destruction and devastation. And a huge part of Isaiah's message as you read with us this month is Isaiah is saying, turn around, go a different direction, turn back to God, quit with all of the, all of the just trying to look good stuff and really turn your heart toward the Lord because he says, and this is the other part of his ministry, Isaiah, the other big part of his message is that, listen, folks, Isaiah is saying, God has a plan. 
He has a plan to restore light to the dark world that we live in. He has a plan to restore what sin has destroyed among humanity. He has a plan to redeem what evil and death have claimed for their own so that more than any of the other prophets in the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah prophesied about a coming savior, a Hebrew, the Hebrew word is Messiah or Mashiach, who, co- who God would send to receive or re- excuse me, to rescue his people and to redeem his creation. And so many scholars call Isaiah the Christmas prophet because many of the Christmas carols that you and I will sing this month come straight off the pages of Isaiah. Many of the, the things, the, the sayings that you will see about born unto us and, 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 and born is the king and Emmanuel, God with us, that all comes from the book of Isaiah. All the, you go in Hobby Lobby, all those decorations they have for Christmas, almost every one of them came out of the book of Isaiah because, listen to me, Isaiah is looking forward to a day. Yes, the world is dark around us and yes, things are cold and yes, things are broken, but God has a plan. He's going to send somebody to restore everything that sin and death and evil have taken from us so we're spending the next few weeks with Isaiah we're spending time in this book and I want to encourage you again I I just sense in the room there's a few people I'm not going to do that listen to me listen God wants to speak to you this month he wants this more to be to be more than just a religious holiday he wants this to be more than just about Santa and presents and the busyness he wants to speak to you and your darkness and your brokenness and the chaos that you're facing in life and I believe he's going to speak to you through his word and don't rely just on the preacher to do it for you. So back to Isaiah 64 for just a few moments. My sermon title today is Hope in the Dark. Hope in the Dark. Isaiah 64, it's one of those chapters where Isaiah is recognizing and describing the darkness in the world around him. And this, this chapter, it's a prayer, it's a plea, it's a lament. It's, it's, it's Isaiah saying, he starts off saying, God, would you please come down here and do something about this? God, would you please come down? And in chapter 63, the chapter before on verse 15, he says, Lord, would you look down from heaven and see what kind of condition we're in? God, do you see how desperate we are in this nation? God, do you see the news of wars and rumors of wars that's all over our television sets and our our screens? God, would you see the moral confusion of an entire generation? God, would you see the absolute evil that has overtaken our nation? God, would you see how far your people have drifted? from you? Would you look down and see? So he's crying out to God in this chapter, God, would you rend the heavens? He says, would you open up the heavens and come down and help us sort this all out? God, look at the darkness. We need some light in this day and age. God, look at the evil around us. We need your goodness because the world has turned into such an evil place. And then there's even a hint Isaiah has of God, would you come and scare him straight a little bit? There's some, something about this, Dad, will you take the belt off and straighten things out for a minute? There's a little bit of that in Isaiah's words. He says, if you'll come down, God, the mountains would tremble before you. God, if you would come down and just cause the nations to quake before you, show them who's boss, whip them in shape, get them in line. In a day and age when evil reigns supreme, God, would you show up and do what needs to be done? 
And here, here's what I want to say as I read Isaiah 64 this week. And what I want to say to you is that I think Isaiah's wanting us to get maybe that even in our moments of greatest need, there is hope. There is hope. Think back to a time where you were in your greatest need in life. Maybe it's right now. Maybe right now there's this great, almost impossible seeming need. And Isaiah is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the prophet Isaiah and saying, even in those times of greatest need, there is always hope. Because even though Isaiah is acknowledging the all kinds of wrong around him, even though he's acknowledging all the evil, all the darkness, all the brokenness around him, he knows who to go to. And he knows where to run in order to make all things right. When all the world seems to be falling apart, Isaiah says in verse four, he says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. He's saying amidst all the darkness, uh, there, there is hope. Because, and, and really he's saying, but there's only one hope. He's saying, we've tried all the other gods and we've tried all the other religions and we've tried all the other philosophies and we've tried all the other political ideologies and we've tried human kings and we've tried different, we've tried military strength, we've tried it all and none of it's worked. The only thing that's ever worked, the only God who's ever answered and helped us in our time of need is you. There's only one hope and that hope is only found in the God we have claimed, yet we haven't quite truly submitted our lives to. And he says the hope is access when we will come before him and submit our lives to him and do his will. But the problem is here in verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says, no one calls on your name or serves you any longer. No one try, strives to lay hold of you. Watch this. For you, he's talking to God, for you have hidden your face from us and given us over to our sins. He knows very powerfully here, it seems to him and to the people around him that because it's been so long since people have truly called on the Lord and so long since people have truly served the Lord that it almost seems like God has hidden himself from us. Have you ever felt that way? And your walk with God, where are you, God? I'm praying. I'm showing up to church. I'm trying to do the right thing. But where, I just, it doesn't seem to be working for me, God. It doesn't seem, my prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. and They don't seem to get anywhere. Ever felt that way that not only has life gotten cold and dark at times and empty and broken, but even God himself seems to have removed himself from you, to withdrawn from the scene, almost that he has intentionally hidden himself or even absented himself from the world, that even if you did call on him, would he even be close enough to hear? Have you ever felt like, man, it's been so long since me and God really had a relationship? It's been so long since I've felt his presence. It's been so long since I really felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me or leading me or I could recognize his voice. I'm not even sure he's here anymore. But Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 64, I believe he's saying to us today that even in those moments when God seems absent, there is hope. 
even in those moments when God seems absent, there is hope. Because right after he says, God, it seems like you have hidden yourself from us. It seems like you have checked out, you have moved on, that you're not here anymore. Look at what he says next, verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our father, and a good father never leaves. You, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, would you look on us, we pray, for we are your people. He's saying, God, I know deep down that even though I feel like you're absent, you're the father who calls us by your name and will never leave and never forsake us. Isaiah has this faith inside of him, this hope, this expectation that though it seems dark and though he seems hidden, he's our loving father and he's never too far away. He's our loving father who never stays angry. He's our loving father for when we, who, who, when we call him, he comes to our rescue. And in the next chapter, God does answer Isaiah's plea, but true to form, God doesn't answer in the way Isaiah expects. See, because Isaiah says, God, you come down, shake the heavens, rain down fire and sulfur on all your enemies, pull out the belt, whip us into shape, scare us a little bit into serving you, get us back on the right track. God, use force, use blunt force, use use the fire from heaven if you have to, but get us back to where we need to be. But God says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, he says his people who will turn to him and call on him, before they call, I will answer. Before they're still speaking, I will hear. And he goes on in the rest of chapter 65 and even into the last chapter 66 to talk about him coming down and totally renewing and transforming the world. And we know on this side of Christmas that God has come down, don't we? But it's not in the way we would expect. Isaiah says, come down and shake the mountains and make your enemies quake in fear. But instead, God comes down in the form of a humble, impoverished human being, born into poverty in a place of obscurity, And somehow through Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, a humble carpenter turned street preacher, God in the flesh brought light to a dark world and hope to a hopeless world. See, because God's goal in answering Isaiah's prayer was not just to reform a wayward world, not just to kind of get us back on the right track. God's intention was to totally renew and recreate a world that is reborn from sin, death, and destruction. Look at Isaiah chapter 65, the next chapter. He says, see, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. He's saying, I'm not interested in just kind of managing the problem. 
Don't we do that sometimes? We're just like, let's just, we'll just fix a couple of things and try to manage it. Make our sin manageable. Make our addictions manageable. Make our family problems manageable. Make our church problems manageable. Make our financial problems manageable. Just get by, just get ahead, just, just kind of make it through. That's kind of what we do. But God says, no, I'm not interested in just managing the problem. He says, I'm going to totally renew and recreate, and it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, reborn, totally free from sin and destruction and death and evil, totally free from so much so that you're not even going to remember what it was like to experience darkness. You're not even going to remember what it was like to live in sin. You're not even going to remember what it was like to suffer sickness and death. Of those who follow the Messiah into this new creation, this is what God says. He says, they will be a blessed people by the Lord. This is what the coming Messiah will accomplish. He says in in, uh, chapter 66, verse 12, I will extend peace to my people like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. Verse 14, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. In other words, I know it seems dark and there's great need right now, and I know it even seems like God has been absent, but he's saying, I am going to come down. It's not going to be in the way you expect. I'm going to move in your life. It's not going to be the way you thought it was going to be. It's going to be better than you could have ever asked and ever thought and ever imagined. It's going to be greater. The result, the end result is going to be more glorious and more powerful than anything you could ever comprehend. The word of the Lord for somebody today is that this prayer present darkness that we are in will not last. God is not as absent as he seems. He has a plan not just to reform, but to restore, to redeem, to recreate and renew for in your life and in our lives and in the entire world. And he has established that plan through his son, Jesus, whom we celebrate in this season because Jesus is God in the flesh. He has come down. He has rent the heavens open and come among us. And this is what I love about what God did and how he answered Isaiah's prayer. Jesus, God in the flesh, listen, did not just come to bail us out. He came to change us from the inside out. He didn't come to just bail us out so we could go back and do it again, bail us out, bail us out, bail the world out of darkness, bail the world out of warfare, bail bail the the world out of all of our problems and all of our issues. He came to totally change and transform human beings and creation from the inside out. So he said, I'm not just going to pour down fire and sulfur and punish you. I'm going to come down among you and change you from the inside out. That's what this season is all about. God became a man so that man could experience God in true relationship. So that's the word for us today. That's what Jesus is inviting us into in this season, is to say, you know what? Things might be dark, but there is hope. You know what? At times it might seem like God is silent and he's not listening, but there is hope. And we know, because we know the Christmas story already, that he truly has already come down. And he's with us, and you're not alone. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to open up our time in prayer in the altar today. And I want to specifically ask you, if you or someone you know 
is in that season of great need, of darkness, or even feeling like God has been silent, this altar call is for you to come and spend time. And, and here's what I want to say. I'm not promising, I'm not promising it's all going to change in a moment here at this altar. What I am promising, though, is what God said in his word just now when he said, I'm the only one who will come and meet and help those who need it. And whatever that process is for you, sometimes God, God works in that instantaneous moment of a miracle. Sometimes that ha I've seen it happen too many times for you to tell me it doesn't happen. Sometimes, I mean, it's like if the, the atmosphere is right, our faith is right, God's ready, God's willing, and somebody that comes in here completely addicted walks out completely free. I've seen it happen too many times. But other times, it's a process. And I, and I wanna tell you that the ones that have to go through a process usually maintain their freedom better. Because when it just happens and it zaps you and God does it and the miracle happens, He speaks to you and it's immediate, you didn't really have to fight for that. It was, and, and that's great. I'm not saying that's wrong. I want it to happen. I love those moments. But the ones who had to come to the altar more than once, the ones who had to, when nobody else was around, had to get in their prayer closet and really, really go after God. The ones who went through the recovery program, the ones who went to therapy, the ones who really pushed through and worked at it and, and wrestled with God like Jacob did out in the wilderness. Those ones, man, they stay free because they know what it took to get there. They know what it took to leave that thing behind. They know what it took to make the marriage work. They know what it took to kick that habit. They know what it took for my heart to really be changed and transformed and, and they value it more. And so what I'm promising you today is maybe immediate, but I'm guaranteeing that through a process of you seeking after God, even when it's dark and even when he seems absent, he'll come down and he'll meet you and he'll bring freedom and he'll bring life. He'll bring renewal. He'll bring redemption. And so the altars are open. I'm going to pray and then we're just going to spend some time around the altar. I want you to come forward. If you or someone you know, because this is an intercessory time as well, where you can come and you can stand in the gap for somebody else. You were talking about somebody this morning that was really struggling with their family. I, I, feel, I feel this for them. We should intercede and just, and just pray. Lord, in the time of greatest need, in the time of greatest darkness, when it seems like you're absent, we're gonna keep pressing in like Isaiah did. And we're gonna say, God, I know you've got a plan in all of this. I know you're gonna come down. I know you're gonna be, it might not be how I thought. It might not look how I thought it would look, but I know you're gonna come and meet me in this place, in this season of my life. So Father, as we come before you and pray, I ask you, Lord, that you would begin the process of meeting needs in every person's life. Jesus, would you move in and come down and, and, and intercept and, and 
and do what only you can do in our lives. We surrender to you at the altar today, our lives, our darkness, our needs. And we ask you, Lord, would you come down and meet us today in Jesus' name. Would you come? Let's just spend some time around the altar.